0: Thank you. It's Sunday, I've forgotten the date. 16th. 16th of September. And uh, uh, the, the whole agenda has been changed completely. And uh, so this, I believe, you could put in the category of calling it the Captivated Heart. And what does it look like? Um, but first of all, before we go there, I'll just recap for those who haven't been with us. Could you turn that ball over for me, dear, so that the, himself is back in vision again? It's not a pretty sight, but, uh... So. Okay. So for those who've joined us for today, um, on Friday we looked at the person and role of the Holy Spirit and how essential it is that we get to know him personally. Uh, as a person, not a power, because that's the new age way of looking at it. Uh, It's the force, may the force be with you, if anybody's watched Star Wars, which some people think is quite innocent, but of course the force that they're talking about is Satan, and that is why I'm totally against any Christian children uh, looking at Star Wars stuff, because um, it's just the other side, and that's another issue. So we looked at the person and role of the Holy Spirit, and how we absolutely need to get to know him and we felt that if we didn't know him that then we actually needed to ask him to presence himself so that we could begin to understand what his role was in our lives, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to be there for us 24-7. And uh, as I was saying to someone earlier on, he is the helper, one of his titles is the helper. So if we don't call on him, we can't get it. So we have to learn to know him Call on him. I mean last night, as I said to you, I went to bed, I I, I I had a little bit of a panic. I thought I haven't I've got two whole days to come and I've got no idea. Uh and then and that's my Martha in the ascendancy, you know, Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus nice and quiet, your spirits and Martha cumbered about with everything, wanting to have a dinner and a, so I got her under control, told her to shut up and left the next day to the Lord. Uh, with the result, we had that wonderful time of worship and whatever we had this morning. <clears throat> and the presence of God, of course, pushed things up, as it always does. So things got dealt with. And, uh, that's all that is needed. Uh, Graham says you you bring down an atmosphere where God can be and then you let let him do what he wants to do. Mm. Most often we hold him away by the fact that we have to do things in a certain wrote as well as quite nervous to bring the fact that I wanted to to take up an offering if anybody wanted to give to, to the workers um, in Islam right now because I thought sounds like church you know we'll have the worship then we'll have the offering <laughs> squeeze it out of them <laughs> I thought I do not want to go there and of course Leneve had her uh, hymns on the board there that she's going to put up on the Bible <laughs> just to make us nicely religious and we're all in the same pews as we usually sit. <laughs> help us Lord <laughs> need to break out of this uh, so w- that's what we looked at on Friday on Saturday the Lord dropped a bombshell right into my lap um, about the Eros serpent uh, that seeks to possess acquire, and control. Completely ripped up where I was (laughs) intending to go, but that's fine. And, of course, what he showed me was through someone that I ministered to many years ago, um, when I looked at the lady, I saw this snake curled up inside. And I thought, she needs deliverance, because I saw this snake nicely, comfortably curled up there. Uh, probably sitting on a few wigs. Um, and it wasn't until yesterday that he revealed to me, it showed you ten years ago probably, uh, this started, what actually that was. And it was the Eros serpent that we're all born with, the old nature. It, and, and it is self-referential. It wants to draw stuff. It is love with a hook. When I was... Um, long before I was born again, some of you have heard me say this before, I realised how selfish my love was. Because I realised that actually it was a Christmas time and I was making mince pies, Stephen was little, and I was really concerned that Ken, my husband, would get home safely for Christmas because it wouldn't half upset my apple cart if he wasn't about for Christmas. Now, who was the one that was... it was me. And I realised that my love was to, for him was actually totally selfish. You know, when anyone says, "Oh, I can't live without you," who's who's the problem? Me. I'm the one that can't live with. I'm not actually concerned that you might be suffering, and it would be better for you to be with the Lord, uh, if if you're terminally ill or something, and the, the the spouse doesn't want to let them go. Um, case in point, some friends of ours. Uh, I was very friendly uh, with a, a man called John and his wife, Daphne. And Daphne had all sorts of things wrong with her. And she she was barely able to walk, poor thing. But she had a relationship with the Lord that was just incredible. Little dot of her thing she was, trying to get her breath all the time. What was the name? of oh, she, she had emphysema. But what was it her daughter ended up having that the child's now got? Cystic, cystic fibrosis. That's it. Um, Yeah, so here we are there's John and Daphne and um, in the fullness of time God took Daphne home and the comforting words that the Lord spoke to John on the night that she died were now will you do business with me Mm. because he had always evaded and avoided uh, every time he or anyone else prayed for Daphne she got worse so, in the end, we wouldn't pray for her, because she got worse. Uh, and God, of course, was trying to get John's attention. He was jealous of her relationship. He used to say, it's, it's like she's got another bloke. Mm. So, uh, that is the Eros Serpent in action. He was jealous of her relationship, with, because how it affected him. He couldn't get where, what he wanted from her. It's a, it's a hideous thing. Once we start to see, I think for me that has so clearly shown my old nature, to, dis- to depict it like that, um, and everything falls into place when you see it like that. It just feeds on itself. It's an incredible thing. So I didn't spend an awful lot of time trying to get this lady delivered because every time I put my hand on her, nothing much happened, and I thought, well, I don't know, I don't know why this, because I wouldn't struggle with it, but I thought. Why this is happening? Something's here. So, the Eros prison of self. And the more we feed this thing, the tighter the bars become, the more we are self referential the more the bars build around the outside, and the harder it is to actually break out into agape. But that's a whole place. But it seeks to possess, acquire and control. And I think the root of all um, sexual aberration is in this thing, because it's a desire to gratify yourself through someone else. I need that person to do this for me so that I'm okay. It's number one at the centre. I think I saw, how did I see it today? I saw the eye was like that, and that proud eye had to be bent to a C so that it was Christ. There has to be bent out of its proud self-seeking shape into a sea anyway so that's what we saw yesterday and we also saw that we need to learn to run to him and and, I coined a little phrase that the Lord gave me that we should turn to each other and say learn to I need to learn to turn (laughs) instead of running away because most often we run away so in the course of looking at that, we saw the exchange at the cross. We actually saw the, the what, the, we started with the hymn about full salvation. And we mostly only come into the age of salvation. Healing and deliverance are all a part of it. But there is a total exchange life to live. The exchange at the cross, that is exchange for the agape. And you get to choose which one you're going to live in. All the time, moment by moment, we make the choices. We're not expected to have the power to do it. The choice empowers the Holy Spirit. That is the way it works. So we can make very fast progress. We can say to the Lord, just give me a ten second or five second countdown to make a choice, will you? This is how I started doing it. Because I found that unless I had that few moments to make a decent choice, I I was off on the old business. Um, Before I could say knife, my old nature was taking over, I'd react in exactly the same way as I did before, Mm -hmm. and nobody would have known the difference. So I said, please would you give me five seconds, just five seconds to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Most often I make the right one, sometimes I have a carnal moment, but they're getting fewer. Uh, So there was that we looked at, we saw at the exchange, and we saw um, that God sends us in circles when He's resisting us in an area. And we saw that if we're going round something and we think I've seen the signposts here before ten miles to paddock wood or and I've been going for three hours and it still says ten miles to paddock wood, I've missed it somewhere. So and I'm thinking, I recognise that. I've just <laughs> I mean the people may be different, the faces might be different, but you're thinking i am getting deja vu, I've been here god is resisting you and sending you round in circles because he's trying to get your attention to make you go straight so that's what we saw there so there we go i couldn't get rid of that little piece of paper now so captivated heart yes turn him around he's not nice is he so we are defined spiritually by our choices. That is the way we are defined. So a captivated heart, what's that going to look like? Um, 1 Samuel 3. We're going to look at a few people who had captivated hearts. I'm going to say at the outset they didn't get it all right, but they had captivated hearts. God had captivated them, somehow he had drawn them with calls of loving kindness, and he'd got them. <coughs> Samuel 3. No? Must be 2 Samuel 3. Take 1 Samuel 3. Isn't oh, shocking for getting it Hold on, hold on. Let me just, can you turn me off a second while i find not one. Got them all. it's actually 1 Samuel 30 and I'll read it all because um, David's in trouble now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day the Amalekites had invaded the south and, and, and Ziklag the south and lit Ziklag, and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. At this point, David and his men had been away doing something. Um, at the law's command, come back and find it's all gone, pear-shaped. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmonite, had been taken captive. Then David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. This is the sort of gratitude you get when it goes wrong. You know, up until then it's been... Show us the head, Dave, Dave, show us the head, where's the head shape? Now it's all gone pear-shaped, everything's been pinched. While they've been away, the wives have been taken, and it's stoned him. It's all the same thing with Moses. Because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. He's in trouble, everybody's against him, he's just done what God told him to do, And it's gone pear shaped. Anybody been there? Mm. You go out, you do what God told you to do, you come back thinking, Done it, Lord, and the sky falls in. Mm. Because the people that he sent you to, or whatever, don't like what you just done dad. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) doesn't it. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Uh, he didn't run away, he ran to, like we said, learn to turn. This is so essential, that we, and this is a captivated heart. Everything's falling about, he learns to turn. So he says to the the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. You know, they used the ephod to decide what they should do in those days. So David inquired of the Lord. Didn't go off trying to sort it for himself, the first thing... What shall I do? picks up the red phone, don't take the key. <laughs> shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So off they go, and they're getting all back safely. Every last penny, every last child, every last wife, and no one harmed. Uh, another man who did what he was told, and then what happened to him was Elijah. Um, 1 Kings I've got the scripture I didn't write it down something like 1 Kings 16, 15 I'm in Chronicles that would help a lot we you know about Eli- Elijah the, the one before whom I love this, this um, a look at 1 Kings 17 first. This is where Elijah first appears on the scene. I love this. Anybody who is prophetic, this is you. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. So, that is where you stand if you are prophetic you stand before God that is your position you get your instructions and that's where you return when you've carried out whatever he tells you to do but you know the story of uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal which we find in in chapter 18 of 1 Kings gets this huge victory Says to all the people, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow Him; if Baal, then follow Him. But people answered him not a word. And then you know, there's the hoop where he starts calling out to him, the other people, the other the prophets of Baal. Cry aloud, for he's a God. He, for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy. That means he's relieving himself. <coughs> but he was really being quite rude. <laughs> he's covering his feet on a journey, perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud, this is uh, 1 Kings 18, 28, and cut themselves. Now, Elijah has got the anointing. Do you remember we were talking about the anointing, how it passes over the same central nervous system? He's flying here. This is wonderful. He knows he's God. He knows God's going to do something. And uh, so he's watching them here. Look, they're cutting themselves and the blood's gushing out. They prophesied until the time of the offering and nothing happened. And then uh, he puts the wood on the altar, cuts the bull in pieces, verse 33, laid it on the wood, poured water all over it, and on the wood, does it second time and a third time, so the water was all round the trench, It, but the whole thing was saturated. And then he says, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day You are God in Israel. You've got to know your authority to stand there and say something like this. It didn't get a swan vestus come down (laughs) like his bonfire. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word. There's his instruction, he's done what he's been told. Okay. Hear me that the people may know you are the Lord God, and you have turned their hearts and the fire of the sacrifice. The fire from the Lord fell, it consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the dust, and it licks up the water that's in the trench. And you know what happens then. Then he goes out and prays, puts his head between his legs and gets his mind out of the way, and the water comes, the rain comes. Uh, And then he gets a word that Jezebel's after him. So he's done all this, he's been on a real high but he's no sooner done that and he's running for his life here's a man who has a captivated heart because he's done exactly what God has said and again just like David it goes pear shaped Jesus did what pleased the father and they crucified him and it is the norm actually you do it they pursue you they crucify you. If you do what God tells you to do, and it isn't with the people outside there, it's with the people in the church, they'll crucify you. Because they can't understand it, they won't agree with it, and they'll pursue you. And you're thinking, I thought you said to do, yeah, good, isn't it? That's right. So if you're prophetic, this is what you can expect, really. So that's why you need to be able to do what David did and learn to turn to the Lord when that happens, when anything happens. All the time you're turning to Him. That is the sign of a captivated heart. You don't actually go looking anywhere else other than to Him because that is where your answer's going to come. So run in hither and yon, He's not going to give you your answer. You remember we said we go to the phone instead of to the throne. Um, but we have to learn to go to the throne. And you will find that doing as you're told from the Lord gets you into trouble. And so that's all there is to it really. But you do it, it's evidence that you're doing the will of God when you're out of step with people. Because it so often happens. And then uh, 2 Samuel 24, 1 to 10. can't read my own writing here. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Carrying out God's sovereign will without realizing it's being set up. Is, this is another situation in which you will find yourself 2 Samuel 24 1-10 but just let's look at his um, reaction to it if I've got it right there why don't you look at the right scripture you might find it if you look there hmm this, those of you familiar with the Old Testament will remember this is where the Lord actually was angry with Israel. And some some versions say he incited David to number the troops or he moved uh, to cause David to number the troops. So one 2 Samuel 24, verse, starting from verse 1. Again the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of this people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundredfold more than there are, and may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? Because he knew that just was verboten. You don't count your troops when God is with you because you're trusting that he is enough. Mm. But because God had incited David to do this, David insists. Mm. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. David at this point is unaware of why this is happening. So Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they do all this and they get all the totting up there. And Job comes back, verse 9. It, it took him nine months and 20 days, it says. Uh, they didn't have the internet in those days. <laughs> <laughs> Put your numbers in here, please, of your tribes. So uh, he gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And they were in Israel, then it talks about it. Verse 10, David's heart condemned him after he'd numbered the people. So David said to the Lord captivated heart i have sinned greatly in what i have done but now i pray o lord take away the iniquity of your servant for i've done very foolishly now when david arose in the morning the word of the lord came to the prophet gad david's seer saying go and tell david thus says the lord i offer you three things choose one of them for yourself that i may do it to you so gad came to david and told him and he said to him Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, or shall you flee three months before your <coughs> enemies while they pursue you, or shall there be three days of plague in your land now? Consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. David said to Gad, "I am in great distress, please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great to the response here its humility before God is yeah. not saying. He's not stomping about. He doesn't understand why. He, he, as far as he's concerned, has done something wrong. Little realising that he's been set up for it by the Lord. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent the plague upon Israel from the morning to the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It's enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel. He's getting the vision here, seeing the angel. Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And uh, as you you know, Arunah's there and he looks and he wants to give him the threshing floor. And David says, No, I'm not going to do that. Verse 24. I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, with that which cost me nothing." So he could have, and again his integrity is being tested here, he could have had it for nothing. He says, no, I'm going to pay for this, because as far as he's concerned he's still done something really wrong, which he had, but the author of it was God himself. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver and David built an altar there to the Lord. What's the first thing he does? And peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Captivated heart. He's not standing up before God saying, Yeah, but you you made me do that. You set me up for that. Captivated heart. Humble to the last. Won't take anything for nothing. Pays for it and builds an altar. And that's where the temple ended up being built, wasn't it? Psalm 51, same thing with David. This is why the Lord said that David was a man after his own heart. He didn't say he didn't get it wrong. He said he was a man of integrity. That given push coming to shove, always he would look to the Lord. Whether he knew he'd done something wrong or he didn't in Psalm 51 we see David, um, who was a man of like passions <laughs> as any of the rest of us. <coughs> he's got Bathsheba pregnant, he's shoved Uriah up the front and he's got him killed, so he's, he's committed murder, he tried to get Uriah to go and lay with his wife so that it wouldn't look as if it was David that had got her in the pl- bun club. But, he, Uriah, being a, an integrous man, wouldn't do it. Uh, so he shoves him right up the front. Got to get rid of him because, uh, but God sees all of this. And here again is an example of a captivated heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the mercy, the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Here's the one. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. A captivated heart will always recognise that though we may have done something to another person, it is against him that we've actually sinned it's then that you know your heart's captivated when you've been horrible to someone and though you need to make restoration with that person your grief is mainly towards the way you've wounded God your heart has been captivated and because of the relationship you don't want to break it but you're human and these things happen Uh, but David you see a man after God's own heart his first and primary relationship was with God himself and that that was what gave him the grief against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight and he goes on to say I was brought forth in iniquity he knew he had that serpent in in sin my mother conceived me then he says you desire truth in the inward parts And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. He knows that in his heart dwells no good thing. He's acknowledging it before the Lord. He's not coming to make any excuses. His conscience, if you like, is so quickened and enlivened because of his relationship with the Lord. Uh, It's pain in him that he's done these things. His flesh, his natural man, had to go out and do it because he was, he was a normal, red-blooded, healthy man. We see the consequences of his fatherhood of Solomon later on with all the wives that Solomon had. Uh, the problem that David had in that area, Solomon had 200 times over, didn't he? But there you have, is an example of a captivated heart. So I probably want to stop there for a moment and just say to you that if Oh okay. Now I don't want to stop. That. I just want to tell you something and, and this is something that felt <coughs> the Lord was, was quickening me to say to you. It's just an example um of the sort of things that can happen because we started this, didn't we, on Friday, with the fact that we realise it's absolute surrender. Not just a little bit of our lives to him but yielding up everything so that the Holy Spirit can be in executive control. That is where we're headed, so that it is no longer two lives to live but one. His life being lived out through us, His will being lived out through us. And that is what will mark us out amongst the people out there. We will place our feet differently. The things that they worry about will not worry us. Because we will walk with God in such a manner that it was, sh- we won't have to open our mouths. Was It wasn't Augustine, was it, that said, preach the gospel, no, it was, um, was it? St. <coughs> Francis of Assas- Assisi. Assisi. Mm-hmm. Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. We're into words, big time. The world out there wants to see something. They want to see how different you, when someone runs a supermarket trolley over your foot, or cuts you up. <laughs> That is when you know what the fruit of the spirit is that's coming out. What did Sue say one day, didn't she? Oh, I was irate. She said, I said, which fruit of the spirit's that, dear? <coughs> 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 so I just need to, I want to tell you a story. <coughs> When I was at the community church, um, the ministry that we then had here was totally accepted by everybody from the top to the bottom. So much so that I saw the elders' wives, and it was like being in clover. Really, you couldn't put a foot wrong. Everybody came to see us. Everybody passed through our hands. Everybody went out with a smile on their face. It was it was lovely. Um, so was quite close to one of the elders and his wife and and she'd been here quite a lot and as i said m- loads and loads of people in the church i had seen not all of them but pretty well all of them good god had sent them here on this particular morning uh, the sort of lead elder suddenly went into a diatribe about there was no need for all this inner healing and deliverance nonsense and the place was electric and i sat there thinking swallow me up and i got a picture of myself hung by my like this at the front there on a nail (laughs) on in the wall i was just hanging there like that hung up there because everybody knew who he was talking about and this before i knew from graham's teaching that this was a god set up and I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, don't let anybody come to me when he finishes. I don't want anyone coming around here being sorry for me, because if they do, what they'll do is side with me against him. You see, mm-hmm. he's the leader. They would come to me, oh, poor you, he meant you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And I'm saying, don't let anybody come. I just want to go home and sort it out with you. I just want to find out what it is you're saying here. Don't let them come to me. And nobody came up to me, except... After pretty well everybody had gone, because I'm sitting there waiting to make my escape into the car, the elder whose wife I had seen, and he said he didn't mean what it sounded like him. <laughs> and I said, well, I, and he wanted to talk to me. I said, no, "Look, let me just let me go home. I want to sort myself out with God. I just want to get home uh, and and talk to the Lord about it." He, he just really didn't understand at all. But what I had to do was to just get before God. And find out what was going on and of course what it was was it was a big test of my heart to see whether I would justify myself want to have people around me to say well you know what you know and gather them or whether like I'm not blowing my trumpet here God has asked me to share this with you so please hear what I'm saying because of the way he had dealt with me, my first recourse was to go to him. I could not go anywhere, I broke my heart when I got home. It subsequently happened again, because it often does. (laughs) It was a bit more precise, even more precise the next time, don't go there, (laughs) was the next time. But that's fine too, because these are the... It, uh, Graham would describe them as elegant tests. He takes you from one position lower than you were. <laughs> so he enables you, he has you, you, you're getting the smile of everyone and it's lovely and the sun's shining, and then suddenly he shifts all the scene, the scene shifters come in and move it all away. You know, you're in Las Vegas enjoying yourself, and suddenly. You're in the desert, not a grain of every, everything. Grain of sand looks the same, and it's barren, and and it's God's dealings with us. So we need to begin to understand: if He gives us a prominent place, He will let you work in that for a while, and then suddenly it's like someone's pulled the rug out. you. <laughs> but that is Him; it isn't the people, because what we have a tendency to do is to start blaming the people around us that they have done it. know them's the agents of the Lord to test our hearts. So when you find yourself in that situation, recognize that it's one of a series of elegant tests just to see if you need to go around it again. <laughs> My prayer always used to be, Lord, don't let me just go through this, let me grow through it. Because if you go through it and you think, I'm glad I'm out of that," you'll go through it again. Because if you haven't done the necessary grow in the go, he's got to take you round in that circle till he till he understand what it is he's doing. And as as we've said, and and, and you most of you know, our whole Christian walk is a succession of steps like that. A journey into the heart of God and each established truth is a stair on the stairway. And only when it's lived out can the step be added. Getting the information is not enough. Someone said the other day, what do we do with all this information? Well, it becomes flesh on you. That's what happens. From the moment that I started to hear Graham's teaching, I applied it. I still apply, the same teaching I heard ten years ago, now, along with everything else that he's adding, to my storehouse. That is the way it works. Because if it just becomes information up here, it will do you not a whit of good. But as you understand, you're on a journey, and you go up one level, and on each level, as he would say, you'd meet a bigger devil, and you've got to beat the devil on the level that you're on. <laughs> but the latest revelation from Grammar, which is brilliant, is that you see this bigger Devil, and the purpose of him is to make you as big as that. So you, you come up there with fear and trembling, and you look at this thing and you think, I'll do a kneecap job on you, or if someone gives me a ladder I'll have your head off. Uh, and you fight and you stand until you are as big as that is. And you see the fear in the eyes of that one, and God takes you up another level. And at the same time that you're actually doing this up another level and meeting another devil, you're going up levels of grace in your life so that that thing that has now got its face to the wall is dying off. And the grace of God is, is coming through. Am I, am I making myself clear? Mm-hmm. Pardon? Do you want my those? Yes, I can do some comments. Yeah, Pl- it plagiarised from Graham, of course. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> We owe him such a debt, that man. Uh, you know, we do, we owe him such a debt. It's just amazing. So, there we are, captivated heart. Little question you can go away with, is my heart captivated? Mm-hmm. If it isn't, ask the Lord to captivate it. It will be his joy and delight. Father, I want that. I want a captivated heart, so that when it, when it hits, when it doesn't hit, my first recourse is to turn to you. I don't go anywhere else. I go to you. Thank you. Okay. So, what comes into my mind, having nothing prepared, is all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, Humbly at his feet I bow, Worldly pleasures, all forsaken, Take me Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord I give myself to thee, Fill me with thy love and power, Let thy blessing fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender, Now I feel the sacred flame, O the joy of full salvation, Glory, glory to his name. And it was, as those of you who were here when we started, remember that it was this full salvation. That the Lord desires that we have everything. um, Everything that he has won for us on the cross. And he just wants us to come into that. And it's a process. And like we saw on the steps, it's, it's it's a walk. It's not a finished thing when you come in. You're just starting something. And I've always been drawn myself to hymns about consecration and holiness. Uh, They've always been things that have been in my heart to desire. And maybe we'll do something on holiness one of these days, because holiness is not piety and outward show. Uh, It is an other than God is holy he is separate he is separate separate he is other than how we are that's why he says be holy as I am holy he's not he's not giving us something we cannot do he's not saying to us to do something Graham says it's a benediction not an instruction he breathes on you and says be holy as I am holy be separated out Come out from among them and be separate. The time's coming where God is separating His people out from the stuff of the world. And that is how we're going to look different. We're not going to be pursuing the same things that they pursue. We're not going to be living for our pension and our retirement and our holidays and our houses and our cars. That is what the world pursues. Matthew 6:33 tells us, if we seek first and only the kingdom and his righteousness, all the things that the Gentiles seek will be added to us. As I've said so many times before, Joyce and I are a living example of that. As much as we are it within us lies, we seek first the kingdom of God within us, His reign and rule in our hearts. And he provides and supplies everything else. So it's putting the first commandment first. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And your neighbour as yourself. Because that follows along. Like the engine goes first and the carriages are tacked on behind. If you do it in reverse order. Your attention and your focus is on people and not on Him. We were talking about this yesterday, the vertical relationship first, the horizontal flows out of that. Everything that you have and you need and you want is in Him. It's no good looking horizontally for it. If you're coming into the ministry that God has for you, it has to be through being locked on to Him like um, a docking manoeuvre. You know, when they used to do the spaceships and they docked It's got to be like that. You've got to be docked into Jesus, abiding in the vine, so that his life flows out through you to affect who he wants you to affect. A branch cut off can yield nothing, bear nothing, because it's cut off from its source. So the whole thing about this weekend, about entering in, is coming into the place where we freely lay down because our hearts are captivated, our minds and our wills to him. We say what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer and we say all the time, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. What do we think we mean by that? Problem? No. What do we think we mean by that? Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. I think we most often look out there and think, yeah, Lord, come and do something with those people over there. You know, they're driving me mad. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come over there, on earth or in earth as it is in heaven. There was um, something that came to me, uh, I can't remember their names, Isabel and Ivan, someone or other, in Toronto. The prophetic people. And Isabella had been taken to heaven. And the one thing that struck her more than anything else was that when God said to the angels, do this or that, they did it. Instantly. They didn't stand there and think, well, I just thought I'd go and down the shops first and clean the car, um, and then want to visit me mum. And when I've done that, Lord, yeah, I'll go and do that. Or, or maybe... T- Can we just talk about it a minute? Do you think that's the best way of doing it? There was none of this, she said, there was none of the discussion, dissension, procrastination, hanging about, that we see in Christians. It was instant obedience. The the command was issued, the angels are gone. Doing his bidding. Uh, And consecration and holiness is all about that. Called, there's another one here. Called to separation with the crucified, temples of the Spirit, saved and sanctified, set apart for service, by God's hand ordained. We the cross have taken, by His love constrained. So again, it's the captivated heart. Paul says, The love of God constrains me. He's saying, I would really rather be doing something else, like punching you on the nose, perhaps. I was looking in Corinthians this morning uh, where he was berating them a little bit about uh, do I need to have letters of approval, you know, like um, am I not the same as some of these so-called apostles? He was giving it to them really hot and strong about the fact that they were not listening to what he was saying. Let's see if I can find it. It's, it's Second Corinthians, I think, towards the end. It might be 13 because I was reading it earlier on. Uh, <coughs> okay. oh, wrong it since you desire good, and seek proof of the Christ who speaks in and through me? You know? something like it's something like that. Do I need letters, he so. said, to. Uh, yeah, the Amplified always puts it slightly different. When it starts off this is the third time that I'm coming to you by yeah. the testimony of two or three witnesses. Must any charge and every accusation, state, accusing statement, be sustained and confirmed. I have already warned those who sinned formerly. Yeah. Um, it's this one actually, I think. Right. 2 Corinthians 11, 11. 16. Um, I say again, let nobody think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may also boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly. For you, put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. And he's talking about people bringing them into into um, now. This isn't the bit either. Into bondage. Mm-mm. Isn't it amazing? Now oh, this is it. I was reading in the NIV. Isn't it different when you yeah, read in it in different a different words, version? Yeah he was reading about I was reading about the thorn in the flesh Um, how I know such a man he says where I went up and down and you know I don't want to desire to boast about it he says I've become a fool in boasting you've compelled me for I ought to have been commended by you for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles though I am nothing the true signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I gave myself was not burdens- and was not burdensome to you? Forgive me in this wrong, he says in an exclamation mark. Now, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. And he's saying how much he has wanted to bring stuff to them, and uh, that, you know, they're all over the place. Um, the way they're. Uh, understanding they're not understanding him He's sent at the Lord and they aren't understanding they listen to anybody go after anything um, I don't know where I went where I started with that that's what comes of having no, no clear <laughs> oh, I
1: that, did two
0: Corinthians. 2 Corinthians about around about 11 or 12 was that I was off there right at 11. the end yeah. he's, he's defending his ministry it's round about chapter 7 oh, verse 7 or 8 yes that's it he says 11. have I got to as I say in the NIV it sounds different have I got to have letters again commending myself but this whole business of being separated unto God there is there are sort of spiritual laws in place that God puts and he doesn't deviate actually from them um This little book here, which I keep intending to get more of, it's called Your Kingdom Come by um, a friend of Giles, Owen Compton, lovely man. He says, uh, When God has won the hearts of a man or woman, and they come under His Lordship, He can then trust others into their keeping. We have observed this in the lives of the early Christians, as recorded in the opening chapter of Acts. They did not go seeking, God ordered the circumstances of their daily living and brought them into touch with those whose hearts he had prepared. I believe this is still his method. My part, when it comes to speaking, is to see that my lips are under God's own authority so that my witness may be to him. That is, to who and what he is and what he's done, born out of a living relationship with him. Uh, and it, the scripture in acts 4:13 is they recognized they they wished it says in the king james that they had been with jesus the fact is that there are certain places that god has to take us through before he will trust us with true riches this is why when when I was talking to you about those of you who were there about management of money how important it is that we are faithful with this world's goods because he cannot trust us with true riches hello true riches because his sheep are his true riches and he won't trust people to you in any way until he's put put you through tests and one of the things uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit's um, executive control over us is that you have to get permission granted to do you may have be like a wineskin bursting with wine I remember the day when I sat in that chair of Annies and said oh I'm like a wineskin I'm so full of the things of God bursting with wine but he had gave me no leeway no no permission to speak and the result I went down like a deflated balloon it just, it just. I thought, I thought I had something to say. I realised I didn't. You know. Pssst. And I thought, thank you, Lord, that you didn't send me out when I thought I was ready. A bit like Moses, you know, when he thought he was ready and, and he killed the Egyptian, he wasn't ready at all. But when you aren't ready and you don't think you're ready, is the very point that he sends you out and says, nevertheless, I will be with you. And. Uh, Oswald Chambers tells of an invaluable experience he had as a young Christian on holiday in the Scottish Highlands. Some of you know Oswald Chambers, my, most for his highest, mm. very very powerful. Uh, he he was he, first world war. He would have been a minister in, wouldn't he? 1418. So he's early last century. Died very young, early 30s, maybe not even reached that, but uh, powerful. Totally a soul, an unbribed soul. There's a book about him called An Unbribed Soul. A man totally captivated by God. And it is these people who have left like um, a deposit, a legacy for us. Because they are so sold out to God, the stuff that is distilled through them, you feed on. I'm going to go on, on thin ice and say a lot of the stuff that comes out as Christian literature these days they get a revelation from God. You can find out on the back cover what the book's all about and you have no need to read the other 350 pages that there are in there because all it is is padding. You start reading some of these old people that really knew God their books are like this Graham's books are usually like that and they're so packed with content You can read them in an hour and a half. Mm. But then you go back and you start to see what they are saying and you are living in a sentence for years. A.W. Tozer, another writer. um, I really suspect a lot of the stuff that that floods the market for Christians because it makes us superficial. We're carried along on the froth and the bubble, and I find out horrendous things about people's actual um, what you call them foundations um, I mean th- I, I would take it that most of you are well versed, but in this room, if I said, "Well, could you speak to me for five minutes about what the blood of Jesus is all about?" Could you show me the typography in the Old Testament and why he had to be born of a virgin? Would you be able to... Are you sure? Do you know why? Do you know why it was so important that he was a sinless, spotless Lamb of God and how he was made that? You know, these are basic things that I find that the church has actually not taught. That's why I always stuck people on Roger Price right away. It is no fault of the people who don't know. It's not an exam. From my point of view, it's to find out where you're at. What's the purposes of Israel? Has God finished with them? Are we Israel? You know, ask half a dozen people to get half a dozen different answers. And there's there's things out there that the church is now Israel, God's finished with Israel. What about all the promises then? Oh, well, he's changed his mind. Oh, whoops. He might change his mind about you. You know. (laughs) I don't believe that bit in the Bible. Oh, that bit calls into question John 3.16 then, doesn't it? Well, it doesn't mean that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, doesn't it? Maybe it doesn't mean when the Spirit and the bride say, come then, you know. (laughs) You've got to know and, uh, and be able to give a reason, I think it's in Peter it says, for the hope that we have within us. So we need these foundations in us, because out of that foundation, God on that foundation, God builds. So we need to know what we know, what we know, what we know. And That's going another way, isn't it? Anyway, so this guy was on holiday. I do go off. Uh, he was with a godly old shepherd, of whom it was attested that whenever he spoke to someone about their need for Christ, that one came to know him. This shepherd said to Oswald Chambers, If you get permission to talk to my ploughman about his soul, do so. Chambers was puzzled and questioned the shepherd who replied, If you don't know about getting permission, you don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Do you think I talk to everyone I meet? I have to get permission before I talk. Now the whole business about getting to know the Holy Spirit is that you get permission before you do anything. It's just not a life of bondage, it's a life of complete freedom. Reese Howell's son said of his father that he was possessed by God. Why are we here? We're here to be, we are God's possession, but we are actually here to be possessed by him so that he lives as I said on the first day through us and greater works than these we do because he is able to live his life through us. So we can bounce through life like Tigger, like Graham says the Holy Spirit does. Just asking the Holy Spirit what he wants to do here, going down the shops, by a Few spuds, a couple of sprouts, and half a dozen eggs. Anybody want to talk to me? No? I remember being in the, in the um, news agency in Paddock Wood, and I was singing a chorus, quite because I could frequently do. And someone behind me was absolutely bemused, and I just caught my caught my eye, and he's away. he grinned away. Said, "You're happy." At home. <laughs> just <laughs> carried on singing. Didn't feel moved to give him the gospel, you know. Because I think as another thing, can I say this, do I have permission? We are pressed into what the church is pleased to call witnessing. And we do it regardless of whether that is our calling, regardless of whether the Holy Spirit is telling us, regardless of anything. And it puts a pressure on the church, it puts a pressure on you, to perform in a certain way, so when you talk to someone about Jesus, it's stilted. Mm. You're not talking to them about over a cup of tea. I um, was saying to Joyce, it was interesting the way that the churches in Croydon did it. I said, it's Oasis all over again, because when we started, God had us hire the hall in the, the Methodist hall, give everything away, mm. so that when we sat down with them, I said to the Lord, why do we have to give it away? And he said, if you charge for it. If you start talking about me, they'll they'll say, excuse me, I bought this cup of tea. I don't want your penneth while I'm having it. <laughs> you give them a cup of tea and a biscuit and sit down and start there doing your knitting and talking about one thing and another. They, They're captive, really. Mm. That's the way that he does it. He does it. You do it under his direction. And bless God, there was a fruit from the thing. They're doing the same thing. Music, feeding... Drawing the crowds, just like Jesus did, what's going on over there? You know, At the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus only ever did what the Father told him to do. He walked past many people and never touched them. He, he said, I've got to go to this place, I've got to go to that place. Paul says, the Spirit constrains me, I've got to go there, I've got to go there. He wasn't following his own agenda. Yeah. So this whole business gets narrower, as Sarah said. He squeezes you in through the narrow place, and you pop out of the end, and there, there you are in a place of brilliance because you begin to touch the glory. You're in a place where you're doing you're living out your destiny, which is not what you think it is, it's what he has planned. And you begin to walk in the works that he planned for you to do from before the foundation of the earth, for which there are rewards and crowns. So the old Eros says, well, there's a bit of something in there for me then, isn't there? Mm -hmm. You know, And we'd be foolish not to submit to the Holy Spirit in order that at the end of the day when we're queuing up with our little bag of jewels in there and this bloke in front with these huge bags of wood and stuff and he's looking at your little bag and thinking, (laughs) ha ha! Wait till I get to the front. And Jesus takes his thingies and says, Thank you very much. And casts them on the fire. Poof. Gone. And yet he had a big ministry. But it was his ministry. It wasn't the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You come up with your little bag. Give it to Jesus. He smiles. Puts them on the fire. There they all are. Untouched. Jewels. Gold. Silver. Precious stones. We've got to measure everything in the light of eternity. Everything we do, from this minute on, we need to say, Father, I want it to have value for eternity. So that will mean some of the things we're doing at the moment, God will say, it's actually not going to have any eternal value. I want you to lay it down. And if he does, and that causes you a problem at home, Father, that's going to cause, how do I deal with this? because he never asks you to do something without giving you the tool to do the job doesn't say dig a hole and then give you no shovel Holy Spirit is there to lead you and it gives him such delight and you will know the pleasure of the Lord within you at the fact that you are doing what he wants you to do and you're doing it quickly you're not fiddling about with it not procrastinating he asks you say yes whatever it is Lord do you remember the song? Yes Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Till he comes to ask you to do something. What? Mm-hmm. Oh can we negotiate this? Excuse me. Now you're now you're treading on something close to me. Place of rest. So This is a little poem that he's written, this man, called Paradox. The world speaks of rights, of me and mine, but love knows neither, nor either, enters its domain, nor can, since love derives its life and being from God, the selfless giving one. The world repels by wants and demands, but love draws sweetly, leading the heart to abandon in freedom to the one whose commands are just and right and good by whose empowering the beloved may live and thrive. The world ensnares with bands of iron, but love's sweet bond is a gossamer thread, unseen yet tangible, delicate yet strong, wonderfully pliant and flowing free, holding, connecting, two hearts as one. The one whose name is the God of this world has wrought through sin the chains that enslaved but the one whose name is love in mercy through Christ has redeemed his loved creation in his sweet thraldom, is life and freedom to the natural man speaking of consecration holiness and sanctification he will shrink back because it means giving things up that's what he sees it as giving it but up But it doesn't, it actually means complete and utter freedom because that thing, you don't have that thing that you think you want so much. It has you. You're in bondage to it if you can't let go of it. It's got a grip of steel on you because it's Eros. So if there's anything that God is asking of you, like that lovely story Bob Mumford tells about this man he's got this fish tank with all this tropical fish and every evening he comes home from work and he looks at these fish and he watches them God he's enjoying his fish going up and down and the voice comes get rid of it I rebuke you devil get rid of the fish tank devil I rebuke you that's not God I'm telling you get rid of the fish tank he finally realizes it's God so He's picking the fish tank up and he's going to take it and give it back to the man who sold it to him. Down the toilet. What? Tip him down the toilet. Down the toilet goes the fish. Wash the loop. Down the toilet goes the fish. Got the tank. Going to put it on top of the wardrobe. Might need it. Where are you going with that? <laughs> well, I just thought you I might need it later get rid of it he didn't have the fish tank it had him the proof was he couldn't get rid of it it's Isaac and Abraham and Isaac all over again so if you just when we finish now and you would just want to go away and say father can you just show me what's got me that I I don't have it it has me Mm. that it is holding me in a grip of steel because if you ask me to give it up There'd be a scream emanating. Until we have actually yielded that thing up to God, it holds us and it's a bondage. Um, I used to paint before I was saved and uh, 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 I would paint 24-7 given the opportunity because when when I'm in the flow of it, everything else disappears but there came the day when the Lord said, I want that give it to me it's his gift so I gave it to him and n- you all know that very rarely now I take the brush or the pencil or whatever and do a bit when he tells me I'll do it and it comes out okay it's his gift he'll give it back anytime he likes but it has to be given up to him because in that giving up we are ceasing to own it we're stewarding it. Because when it gives it back, we're aware that it's not ours. It could be your family, your closest, your nearest, your dearest. There will be a wrong bond if you're actually holding them, because it's Eros. And that it has you. So, bless you. You never know where God's going to take you, do you? <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you for listening you've got till five o'clock, those of you who are daily visitors um, have a little think about that Well, what's holding me Lord? thank you I just, just spotted this and feel it would be good to get on the CD Abandonment is to a person the resurrected living Christ another word for sanctification it's another word for surrender, it's abandonment, through the Holy Spirit. Being a devotee to a religion, to creeds or doctrines, even truth, will produce harshness, inflexibility, a joylessness and heaviness that crushes. But devotion to the person of Jesus Christ can only bring lightness, joy and gentleness of spirit. Salvation and sanctification are both the work of God, it would be impertinent as well as foolish to think that I could help him save me. And it is the same with sanctification. My part is abandonment, active faith, in response to his love and grace. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I press on to know him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about abandonment. That's where we started and that's where we're going because in order to come in, to enter in, To the power and presence, we've got to abandon everything. Thank you. Try again.